0: we serve the bright morning star because we are born of god the creator of light and because he says we are light we are the solution to the darkness we are the brightness that can and will push back the darkness of all the things i've mentioned and by the leading of the holy spirit as we daily draw nearer to god and become more like christ we will bring god's brand of unconditional sacrificial and serving love and we will bring the wealth of heaven the life the comfort the righteousness the justice the presence of god and the certainty of eternal life that is who we are hello and welcome to the love key church podcast where we share our church's message of the week My name is Heinz Winkler and together with my wife, children and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. Wow, God is good. Thank you, Jesus. We are busy with a series called Light in the Darkness. And I'm sure that you can see why we chose the songs we did and why we want to proclaim that. Because I know most of us in the week running up to these gatherings, whether you like it or not, you are probably more influenced by the darkness of the world than by the word of God and the light of the gospel. Would you agree? We don't always choose it, but if we are not vigilant enough and make sure from our side that we are getting more of the good news than the news or more of Christ than the world, then it can quickly... Catch up with us. And you know how you know that you are, you are more influenced by the world than by the gospel is when you listen to the, the narrative of the world and you start going, yeah, maybe they have a point. And you're like, whoa, then it's like a red flag. You must start going, no, 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 no. If anything that you start thinking that they might have a good point is contrary to scripture, you must realize you've been influenced and it's an easy fix just run to Jesus and open the Bible and read it aloud so we're busy with a series called lights in the darkness and today we are going to talk about a message called crown and I want to remind us of our series scriptures from Isaiah and Matthew Isaiah 60 verse 1 to 3 says arise Shine, for your light has come. It doesn't say, it would be really nice if you would consider to please arise and shine. For you know, your light has come. Pretty please, with sugar on top. Like some moms who try to get the kids out of bed in the morning. Rise, shine, for the sun has come and school is starting. This is a command. Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you and His glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Yes, he is talking to Israel. Yes, he is talking to the children of God. But from the New Testament, through Christ Jesus, we know that through Christ Jesus, we are the seed of Abraham. So that promise is for us as believers. Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. You are the light of the world. Boom, done, settled. A city set on a hill. Uh, a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp stand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine so before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Why do we shine our lights? It's not for us, it's for our Father in heaven. Amen. Awesome. We, the church of Jesus, the bride of Christ, we are the light in the darkness. Do you know that? Do you realize that? We are that little flame in this dark room. This dark room was the world and we are those little flames. Darkness is all around us. The darkness of sin The darkness of evil, the darkness of death, of hate, of murder, of abuse, of corruption, of neglect, of immorality, greed, poverty, lack, depression, anxiety, hopelessness, loneliness, uncertainty, fatherlessness, and lack of identity. This is the darkness we face every day. And there's more on that list. Because we serve the bright morning star, because we are born of God, the creator of light, and because he says we are light... We are the solution to the darkness. We are the brightness that can and will push back the darkness of all the things I've mentioned. And by the leading of the Holy Spirit as we daily draw nearer to God and become more like Christ... We will bring God's brand of unconditional, sacrificial, and serving love. And we will bring the wealth of heaven, the life, the comfort, the righteousness, the justice, the presence of God, and the certainty of eternal life. That is who we are. And none of you are excited about it, apparently. We are the light of the world. I don't want to start with my old thing of, do you get it? Because that offends so many people. But do you get it? Like, it's so important that you get this. Man, some people are really angry at me for that. I are intelligent. I hear what you're saying. I really do. Don't keep asking me. Okay, but let your face know that you get it. Then I will know (laughs) that you got it. And then we don't have to have this conversation. But our light may only shine as brightly as our own revelation of the finished work of the cross in our own lives and who we truly are as, crea- as new creations filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so I'm going to say that again. We are the light of the world, but the intensity of the brightness with which we shine can be limited by how much we believe we are the light. Does that make sense? All right. Someone with Christ's light in them, or Jesus himself lit the light in you when you made a decision. All of us here that are born again had some kind of encounter with Jesus. Either through a believer who had the light in them, or some are very lucky and they had an encounter with Jesus directly. Spoke to them in a dream, or I have some friends with amazing testimonies of how they heard God speak to them. And that moment, the light in someone or the light of Jesus, it ignited the light in you. You encountered Jesus, you aligned with these purposes, you started to reign in life, and now you have, and you want to help others to do the same. Amen? That's what we want to do. Your light can ignite light in others. But we each need to ask ourselves is my light? the light that's burning inside of me for Jesus, is it perhaps limited by my own thinking or my own insecurities? Is my light limited by my habitual sin? Is my light limited by ungratefulness or complaining? Is it limited by my wounds from the past that I haven't dealt with because I haven't gone to Sozo or because it's familiar the, the wounds of the past is familiar to me, so I hold on to them. I'm a, I'm a slave to my pain. I'm, I'm, I'm loving my pain. I don't want to let it go. So I, it's, it's what I speak about all the time to everybody. And that can limit my, my light. Is my light shining at the brightest I think it is possible, or am I letting it burn as brightly as the Holy Spirit wills? Is it limited to my thinking and my ability or am I surrendering to the Holy Spirit to let His light shine brightly through me and let Him surprise me every day? Is the lumens of my light limited by my lack of confidence in who I am in Christ? Yeah. I love it when Jesus gives me stuff like that. Is the lumens of my light limited by my lack of confidence in who I am in Christ? Or do I make sure I stay plugged into the brightest light of all so that He may shine through me? Okay, so we've been journeying through Corinthians. It's been quite an amazing journey. And two weeks ago, Carl did a great job of talking about being sanctified. Today, we're going to talk about chapters 9 and 10. So far, we've tackled about three chapters at a time, but these chapters are so filled with so much stuff, I'm like, we can only do two today, and it might even not be enough time. But I felt that God showed me that there's actually a golden thread through these two chapters of what Paul is trying to say to the church in Corinth, and I'm going to try my utmost to communicate that to you today. And you know that we've been connecting our our scripture from Corinthians with a well-known Bible story. Amen? So today, it's quite easy because Paul did the job for me. Uh, He talks about Moses and the people of God in the desert in chapter 10. So that's sorted. It's all part of it. So our message, as I said, is called Crown. And it comes out of our scripture for today. I believe we will see how the biblical symbol of a crown lines up in a special way with the light metaphor that we've been talking about. As a rule, all right, I want to ask you would you agree that a crown is shiny? All right, I have a little prop here. I was hoping for, you know, the queen's crown, but we did get this one. So why, why is this something that a little girl, or even some boys, would love to get? It's because it's shiny, it's bright, you can play with it, you can pretend to be a king or a queen for the day, right? Anyone? Okay. It is shiny, it is bright. It's usually made out of gold or silver. There's some kind of emeralds or stones or diamonds on it. Okay, Leon, you can take this away because I can't see past it. I'm kidding. <laughs> So here's the question. Can you see the crown if there's no light shining on it? Can you see a crown in the darkness? Okay. Light needs to shine on it for it to be seen. Or, what's the other alternative? It must be emanating light from itself. Okay. A crown in ancient times symbolized royalty, wealth, authority and power in ancient Greece the Olympic athletes received a wreath crown that showed that they were victorious and then that was the only thing they were wearing (laughs) some of you will get that this kind of crown this wreath was won and then symbolized that you won a specific event you were the best And once again, that shows that you have authority and power. On that day, in that moment, you are the best in that event. So when people see a crown, they can recognize victory along with the ones I've mentioned, royalty, wealth, authority, and power. But in order to see it, light is required. When it cannot be seen, it cannot be recognized. And when it cannot be recognized, it cannot influence So remember our series verses, we are commanded to let our light so shine before men. From the beginning of Corinthians, you'll hopefully remember that Paul seems to be defending himself with the people from Corinth. He's having a tough time with this church. And you may remember if you're new here today, let me just remind you quickly, the people of the church of Corinth most of them were freed men. They used to be slaves. And most of them became uh, wealthy with the trade industry. They were at a very important port and they were helping traders move their ships from the one port over land to the other port on the other side. And they made a lot of money with that. But the city was very pagan. It was very corrupt. It was very steeped in sexual immorality and all kinds of other stuff. And because of that, These people who didn't come from a Jewish background, they were Gentiles, they got saved because Paul had them saved. They were in this world. They were light in the darkness. But Paul is mostly trying to, apart from defending himself, he's trying to tell them, you cannot let the darkness overwhelm you. You cannot, you need to stay the light. Okay? So, one of the things he does from the beginning is to try and convince people of his. Uh, status his position in their lives and why he is their leader because they had factions they had they were like I'm of Paul and I'm of uh, Barnabas and I'm of Cephas and I'm of whatever they were making these little faction there was division among them and Paul knows from scripture that where there's division there can't be blessing Um, so he's trying to get them there so now here in chapter 9 we see that he feels the need to address his position as apostle as leader of the church because he planted it. He talks about his rights as a spiritual father and leader and what he may ask and receive from them for his labors in the gospel. So he's coming from a position of, hey guys, I've planted this church. I'm your leader. Because of that, because of Scripture, because of God's, what God says, I have certain rights. But then we'll see from the Scripture, he says, I give up those rights. All right. So I want you to follow with me. 1 Corinthians 9, 12 to 16. If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things. They endure the uncomfortability of not being paid, of not receiving uh, funds and food and stuff from this church. Lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. This is a commandment from God. But, says Paul, I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. In other words, I want to boast about the fact that I preach the gospel for no payment. That's what he's saying. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He's like, whatever I do, I cannot help it. I will preach the gospel. All right, I'm going to skip down a bit to 1 Corinthians 9 verse 19. For though I am free from all men, the opinion of man, the position that men may want to put on me, I'm free of them. Listen to this. I have made myself a servant to all. Some translations say I've made myself a slave to all that I might win the more. For what? The gospel, the kingdom. Okay. And to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews. And to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ. That I might win those who are without law. And to the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be partaker of it with you. Do you see that? How powerful is that? I'm going to bring it all together, but I just want to end with this part. 1 Corinthians 9 from verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Not in Canada. They give everyone a medal. (laughs) Run in such a way that you may obtain it. How do you run to obtain it? Half? Half effort? Some effort? I'll see what happens. No. Everything. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. That means self-disciplined. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Some translations say an eternal crown. That is why we are running this race. It's for an imperishable crown. Amen. Therefore, because this is true, therefore this is how I run. I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight. Not as one who beats the air, shadow boxing, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. Lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Disqualified. Paul is saying to the church of Corinth, I have rights. I have preferences. But I have laid my rights down. I have laid my preferences down. For what? The sake of the gospel. He says it in so many words. What is the gospel? I think many Christians don't actually know. The gospel, for those who may not know or might need a reminder, it is good news. One of Mercy Me's songs says, it's actually the best news ever. The good news that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He's the Savior of the world. Okay? Savior from what? What is He saving us from? He's saving us from sin and the wages of sin, which is? Eternal death, which is hell, which is separation from God. That is what He's saving us from. The good news is that when you realize you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that that Savior is Jesus Christ and Him alone and no one or no way other than Him, very important, He is the only way to the Father. And that when you repent from your sin, And you receive Jesus as your Savior and you choose to follow Him and obey Him. Why? Because you love Him because He loved you first. You are now a new creation and you have the right, according to John 1, to be called a child of God. Before that, you are a child of God just by being created, but you are not a child of God who is heading for eternity. And that's very important to know. That is the gospel. So when Paul says he's willing to do all these things, give up his rights, give up his preferences, go to people that he may not like. He's saying that I'm running the race to earn this imperishable, eternal crown. We need to wake up and sit up and pay attention. When I play this little game with my daughter, Alana, I pretend to sleep. And then she goes, wake up. (laughs) That's what we need to do as the church of God. We need to wake up and see what Paul is saying. How many of you think you have rights? How many of you get upset when what you think is your due or what you are owed is not given to you? How many of you feel like there's stuff that I deserve? This should just happen. Do you know that you're totally free in Christ from the opinion and the fear of man? All right. Do you see yourself as a born-again believer as completely as a citizen of heaven first and foremost? Not the culture, the language, the lineage, the city, the province, the nation you were born into. That's not first anymore. It's important, but it's not first. If you are born again, you are a new creation with a new lineage and a new future. And your language and your city and your town doesn't define you. And if you let it define you, you will be limited. Why do we have a church in English and I'm Afrikaans? Because God said so. And because I'm lucky to be able to speak both tales. (laughs) But it's, God is so much bigger than all these things. There are people that have heard the gospel and have gotten saved through this ministry because we preach in English. It is not about the the language. It's about the gospel. But we want to hold on to our rights. We want to hold on to our preferences. I like it this way. I don't like it that way. I don't like those people. Those people make me uncomfortable. I don't like the kind of music they play. All these things start to become an issue. Now, obviously, some of the rights we have and some of the preferences we have are not life and death. I know. And it's not all to do with the gospel. Yes, absolutely. You like your coffee a certain way. It's not. It's not, you know, eternal things. It's coffee. It's important, very important. But it's not eternal. Do you understand what I'm saying? But when you have certain preferences about who you want to associate with, who you want to talk to, who you want to hang out with, where you go, what you do, what rights you think you have, when that starts to influence whether you are shining your light brightly for the gospel for eternity, then we have a problem. Because then you are worshipping your rights, you are worshipping your comforts, you are worshipping your conveniences. You are not worshipping Christ. It is that simple. We all need to let Paul's words sink in and challenge us today. Ask these questions. Do I shy away from sharing or preaching the gospel if certain things I think I deserve or should have are not in place? Do I only share the gospel with like-minded people? Do I only share the gospel with people who are in my mind beneath me? Because it's easier for me to share the gospel with them. And do I hold back when I'm with peers or people that I think are more important? Do I use my freedom in Christ as a holiday from loving people enough to sacrificially serving them in order to reach them with the good news? Am I willing to become what I need to become in a moment with people from a different culture or religious background than mine without compromising my biblical um, who I am in Christ, but in order to reach them for the gospel? Am I willing to become that for a moment like Paul does? A Jew for the Jews, a Gentile for the Gentiles, weak for the weak. Am I willing to do that? And then Paul brings in this picture of a crown. The idea of running the race of living for Jesus to win an eternal imperishable crown. And he goes on to talk about the importance of disciplining your body. I want to remind you, this is what he says. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. This is how I fight, not as one who beats the air. But I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So first and foremost, he says, I run the race with certainty. If I know heaven is my heritage and I know where I'm going, I love this this scripture in John uh, 13 verse three. It's the the moment where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, but listen how it starts. It says, and Jesus, knowing that he had received all, All things from the Father. That he came from the Father and that he was going to the Father, bent down and washed his disciples' feet. Knowing that he had received all things, he chose to serve. When I know that my heritage is heaven, I know where I come from and I know where I'm going, but I know that in between there's a mission. Jesus knew I still have to die on a cross. Before I go to my father, he knew that. And it's the same for us. We need to do it with certainty, not with double-mindedness or uncertainty. On the way there, I have to share the gospel with as many people as possible. On my time, heading for that imperishable crown, I have to shine my light. And I have to get as many people as possible to come along with me. And then secondly, he says, this fight is a real fight. It's not a fake fight. It's It's not what you're practicing punching in the air. You know, that's for before the fight. That's getting ready for the fight. Now we're in the fight. You cannot shadow box demons. You need to know who you are in Christ. You need to know what you have available so that you can stand against the wiles of the devil. It's like David facing Goliath. He knows that his God is greater than anyone or anything that comes into his presence. He knows it. Didn't doubt for a second. He fought with certainty. Did you know that David was so sure he can take down Goliath that he, when he came to that camp and he was walking around, he was not asking whether someone's going to fight him or how do we defeat this guy. He was asking him, what does the guy get that kills that uncircumcised Philistine? What does he get? And then he walked to someone and I said, I just want to make sure that they say, right, do I get the king's daughter and do I get tax-free... Break for my whole family. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, cool. Then his brother comes and says, Hey, Poepsneiter, what gay so? Come back here so. And he, he ignores his brother and he goes on asking, So I just want to make sure, Is this what I get when I kill the giant? When I kill the giant. He was 14 years old. With a kitty. There's this guy three meters high. In the physical he is completely overwhelmed by the darkness. But because of the light inside of him, knowing who his God is, knowing who he is, he can run into the face of a giant, wielding a, a, a is it fell, what's the thing else. slingshot in one stone, and he takes him down. He did not doubt for a second. He runs in with certainty. He runs in with a, for a real fight, not a fake fight. And he disciplined himself. For years before that, he was being made ready for that moment. He protected his sheep from the bear, from the lion. He was ready. But it took self-discipline. It took disciplining his body. And that is what God is calling us to do. And that's Paul telling the church in Corinth to do. And that is an example for us. In this crown metaphor, we see a summary of giving up our rights, of giving up our preferences, and of choosing to run with an eternal mindset, not a a temporary mindset of what can I get now as fast as possible. We live in a world, part of the darkness that we live in is this instant gratification thinking. We even try to save people that way. But for some people, it's a process. We have to actually love them for a while into the kingdom. No, but that's inconvenient. You're dead to your old self. You're alive in Christ. Let him do the, you know, just go. It's a picture that complements our series focus, light in the darkness. When we live like this, like Paul is saying, when we live with certainty, fighting a real fight, a spiritual battle that is raging in the heavenlies, and we know we've got the weapons and we've got the armor of God from 2 Corinthians 10 and Ephesians 6, we can go into that battle. And if we know that we will have victory, that is how we can brightly shine for Jesus. When you have a confident Christian who knows who he or she is, you just see it in their eyes. Have you seen that? They shine for Jesus. You know how you tell a a, when a woman is pregnant, like, oh, you're glowing. And then most of them say, no, I'm just sweating. (laughs) We need to shine for Jesus. Not, Not through a fake smile, but from a joy and a knowledge that comes from time with God in His presence. It's knowing, I'm a son of God. I'm a man of God. I'm a daughter of God, and I am here to shine the light for Jesus and to bring more people into his kingdom. Amen? Amen. Let's go on to chapter 10. In this chapter, Paul shifts focus from himself and his example to giving instructions to the Corinthians on how they live in a pagan city with their worldly neighbors. How do we live in this place? How do we live in the darkness? How do we practically shine our light in the dark places? He reminds them of the Jewish people who were freed from Egypt by God and saw mind-blowing miracles who shortly after that were moaning and groaning in the desert, committing idolatry, sexual immorality, tempting Christ and more. He teaches them how this is an example to learn from. I've told you about a cautionary tale before. This is one of them. What not to do is what he is saying to them. And he then focuses specifically on how they should approach food and drink in this environment. All right? So let us look at the warnings, the instruction, and the conclusion from Paul. We're going to read together in 1 Corinthians 10 from verse 1. I was going to read this whole chapter because it's hard to leave something out for it to make sense. But I'm going to try to do piece by piece and then fill in the rest. Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud. All passed through the sea and all were, listen to the word, baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What is a cloud made up of? Water. What is the Red Sea? Water. They were baptized. Um, All ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them. And that rock was? Did you know that? Did they tell you that in Sunday school? Anyone? Anyone? Christ was with the people of God in the desert. When was this? A long, long time ago. As I start all my stories for my daughter. Lang, lang geleder. Before Jesus even was born in our timeline, He was there with the people of God. Paul is breaking this open for us. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. For their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Alright, it goes on to name the specific things that they did wrong in God's sight that led to them dying in the desert. It was idolatry. Remember the golden calf? They couldn't wait 40 days for Moses to talk to God about the laws for the people. So they melted their gold and made a calf and they started to worship it. And who was the head of honcho? Aaron, a priest. Yeah, sure, let's do it. He didn't even argue with them. Sexual immorality, tempting Christ. I went to see, they talk about this in Exodus and in Numbers. Tempting Christ was a form of complaining. They wanted water. They were thirsty. And they were going, oh, you took us out of Egypt. and We don't have the meat and we don't have this. and We are thirsty. And Moses is like, he went to God and says, what am I supposed to do with these people? And then it says, God gave a miracle. They got water. But then it specifically mentions that they were tempting Christ with their complaining. And then they specifically mentioned a complaining again moaning and groaning grumbling in the desert against God he gives them a cloud by day a fire by night manna manna on the ground he gives them uh, those little birds that they could eat and after a while they were like yes can we change the menu please that was nice but can we have chicken or beef like and they moaned and they groaned and God killed many of them but remember how it started they were supposed to have an 11 day journey to the, to the promised land, it became 40 years, why? Because the ones who didn't believe had to die out. The ones who didn't believe, the two spies that saw what God said, they believed the 10 that said, no, it's not possible. The two that saw the crown, that's imperishable, were overwhelmed by the dark, dark thinking of the mass, saying, no, it's not possible. The darkness of impossibility can hold us back from what God says, no, with me, all things are possible. Amen? 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, listen to his language. He loves these people. Because of what our example is of the people in the desert with Moses, listen to this, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to wise men, judge for yourself what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body. For we all partake of that one bread. The communion that we take as believers unite us observe Israel after the flesh are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar what am I saying then that an idol is anything or that it's offered to idols or that it is what is offered to idols is anything rather that the things with the Gentiles sacrifice they sacrifice to demons and not to God and I do not want you to have fellowship with demons Here Paul is saying strongly that we should flee idolatry. What is idolatry? It is worshipping anything else other than God. It is giving your time, your effort, your energy, your money, your attention to anything more than God. If you're even putting it at the same level in your mind as God, you're already committing idolatry. He contrasts blessing the wine and the bread of communion, which we know is dedicated to Christ and through which we are united in the body of Christ with food offered to idols. What are idols in that time? It was dead things. It was man-made little emblems, little um, symbols and uh, figurines and statues. They were worshipping man-made things which are dead those physical things are dead but by giving their worship to the physical things what did they do they worship demons Any form of idolatry is demon worshipping Because there's only two sides to this war God and Satan and his demons You are either Okay you are either serving God wholeheartedly or you are partly serving demons. We're not missing, this. I'm going to make this very practical and get up in your business. We're not missing Formula One or a rugby test match or Premier Soccer League. When that becomes more important, and now I'm going to stay home from church because I'm going to watch this game because it's so important. You're worshipping demons. I'm going to get in trouble. I'm not saying those people on the screen are demons. But what you are doing is you're taking your time that should be dedicated to Jesus and you're saying, no, I'm going to put it into this. And by doing that, you have taken your focus from God unto earthly things. And when you put your worship into earthly man-made things, you are worshipping demons. Do you see that? Don't quote me Say Heinz says Premier League soccer is demons. It's not what I'm saying. We should watch sport. We should enjoy sport. We should do fun things. Absolutely. But when any of those things become more important than God and serving His kingdom, and when any of those things keep us back from shining our lights brightly, from running the race for that crown, we are serving demons. It's that simple. Paul couldn't be more clear. And now some of us are challenged and we go, whoa, that's a bit rough. Yeah. Why do you think the world looks the way it does? The Bible calls the the devil the father of lies. We serve the father of lights. Light in the darkness. The father of lies is trying to tell you what it should be and what light actually looks like. He's trying to uh, give you a warped version of what light should be even now as we look at the world that's going on they are trying to tell us that the values of the world are better than the moral values of the of the bible and they make you feel bad when you say well marriage is between a man and a woman <gasps> how can you say that that's wrong no it's not it's what the bible says but we, we've been inundated with it for so long that we've started to come, yeah, sure, You know, let that darkness in. Let that little bit of darkness in. That's fine. We'll, you know, we'll shine our light over here. And, we'll... and before you know it, it's even dark inside the church. And we cannot allow that to happen. We cannot allow that to happen. I've gone way off script, but it's so important for us to realize God wants All of our hearts. Who can tell me what Jesus said with the two most important commandments? Love God with? All your heart. All your mind. All your soul. All your strength. Okay? What does that mean? It means that all of who I am must be busy loving God. All. So if I say that, well, I'll give a quarter of my heart to sport and a quarter of my heart to my job and a quarter of my... And you divide it and then and I'll, a little bit to the church, a little bit to God, you know. It's not your whole heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, hear me well. I'm not saying that you can't do those things. I'm saying that you must, we must all check ourselves... Is my whole heart, whole mind, whole strength, whole body focused mainly and first and foremost on things of the kingdom? Or do I allow any man made thing to encroach on my wholeheartedness towards God? Does that that make sense? All right. Please don't misquote me to other people. I will just send them this and say, listen to the whole thing. But listen to Paul. He says, you can eat and drink anything. He says it twice because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Do you know how how challenging that must be to a Jewish person who had 613 odd laws about what is clean and what's not clean and what can you eat and what can't you eat and what must you do when you've eaten something that's unclean? It must like break their brains. But who's he talking to? Gentiles. So he's saying to the Gentiles who are newborn believers, everything that God has made is good for you to, to use. All right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. But then he clarifies. He says, if you sit with a pagan that doesn't believe, and now he's, he just spoke about how you become a Jew for the Jews and a Gentile for the Gentiles. So when you are now being a Gentile for the Gentiles, you're hanging in their house. They put food before you, a drink before you. Eat it. Enjoy it. But, if he tells you that this was given to idols, don't use it. But it's not for your sake. He says, you can fix that by praying. You just pray, thank God for this food and it's sorted out. But for the sake of the unbeliever, you don't use it. Imagine someone put a, puts a great steak before you. That thing is perfect. You're like about to cut into this, oh, by the way, this was, you know, prayed over by an imam. You're like, uh, mm. will you sacrifice for the gospel? For that soul? That's what he's saying. That's a specific example. But we must be led by the Holy Spirit and how we do things. Amen? It comes back to sacrificially giving up. For the sake of the gospel. Every time that's what Paul is saying. My rights, my preferences, my likes, my dislikes, all of it, I give it up for the gospel. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let me read that. Um, That's what he ends off with. I'll just read that to you. Whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. In other words, shine your light, run the race for the crown. That's what he's saying. Do not not offend these three groups. That's what he's, He's also saying, do not offend these people, the Jews, the Gentiles, or the church. Okay, so he's saying to them, by how you treat them, by how you spend time with them, do not offend them, the Jews, the Gentiles, the church. So in our case, that would be people that come from the same background as us that are not believers, people that are unbelievers from a different background and those who are in the church and he actually uses the word I try to please all people but it's for the sake of the gospel so do you think Paul is saying to us we need to please people in the sense of make everybody happy don't you know walk on eggshells make sure they're not offended by their feelings or do you think he's saying become a Jew for the Jews, a Gentile for the Gentiles, become whatever you need to become without compromising your beliefs to love those people into the kingdom. I think it's the latter because his whole heart, if you read everything else that Paul says, it can by no means mean that he wants us to bow to the fear of man, which is people-pleasing. It must mean that we. Com- not compromise, we sacrifice certain things in certain situations with people that don't believe in order to win them for the gospel. Does that make sense? All right. So, that is why I believe the challenge for all of us today is twofold. We need to somehow zealously And confidently pursue Christ in this life with an eternal perspective the whole way. While still being light in people's lives as we go on this journey. Whether they share my cultural background but are unbelievers. Have another background but are unbelievers. Or are in the church out of a genuine, we do this out of a genuine love for them. God's idea of love, which is unconditional, sacrificial, and serving. I need to become what I need to become. I need to do what I need to do and say what I need to say to bring them into the kingdom while never compromising what God has asked me to do. It sounds easy, right? Who knows that that's very hard? Who has tried to do that and feel like I've failed miserably? I know I have. I know I've been in situations where I didn't speak up because I felt, Uncomfortable. Because I felt like, this is going to be awkward. Like, (laughs) that one movie, the guy goes, this is uncomfortable. (laughs) Trying to change the atmosphere. You get those moments. But in those moments, we have to ask ourselves, what's more important? My rights, my convenience, my preferences, or this soul and its eternal destiny that's sitting in front of me? And then we get, suddenly get a whole new perspective. Picard Hen, coming for the school of evangelism, his testimony really shook me. He said, on the day that I gave my life to Christ, I tried to kill myself three times. And after the third time, Jesus appeared and spoke to me. And that's what got me saved. He said, but at age, he was in his late 20s, At that age, not one pastor, not one duermany, not one Christian shared the gospel with me at all, ever, in my whole life. And I walked past them more than once in my town. No one told me the gospel, so I'm going to tell everybody the gospel. That really shook me. Because what if someone that I'm walking past is, is a Picard who can change the world for Jesus. But not even that. What if someone walks past me and their soul is not heading for heaven, but heading for eternal death? Do we feel that urgency enough? Guys, do you know that we're living in the end times? We don't know when Jesus is returning. And we need to be ready. But apart from being ready for that eternal crown, we need to have an urgency to take as many people with us as possible. Amen? Amen? And is it easy? No. It will take everything to do this effectively for the kingdom. Are you ready? All right. So I, I want to I um, take a moment. Let us all stand before Jesus today. I've got two questions for us today. But jo, thank you for reminding me. Before we do that, we will take communion. You've got your little thing with you. Um, If there are parents here with their children, I will leave it up to the father to decide whether the child can share in this or not. Um, We we believe that it's for, for anyone that understands what it's about and that has been saved. And you will know where your family stands. But as we read in this piece from Paul... The, the, the wine that's, that symbolizes the blood of Jesus and the bread that symbolizes His body is the thing that unites us as a church. It is, and it is our way of uniting with Christ and what He did on the cross. Amen? Is there anyone that doesn't have a little thing? Anyone? If you don't have, just put up your hand. Someone will sort you out. So I I want us to close our eyes. And I want you to just imagine. Use the imagination that God has given you to see your Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross. I want you to see how seriously He took eternity. How serious He sees each of our salvation. He saw it, he took it so seriously that he gave his life. His body was broken beyond recognition. His blood flowed for the remission of our sins, for the forgiveness of our lives, to open up, the way to God the Father, to reconcile all mankind with Father God. So as we take the bread, and as we break it, and we eat it, we know that His body was broken for us, for our transgressions, for our iniquities, for our sins. And as we share in the juice, the wine we know His blood cleanses us from all sin washes us clean and makes us new. Lord Jesus we thank you That you made the ultimate sacrifice as we take these symbols and are reminded of what you have done we ask Lord that you will bless us that you will take us deeper in our relationship with you deeper in our understanding of who you are and Lord I pray specifically today for a deeper revelation and understanding of what it means to live with an eternal mindset for the crown that we want to get, but also for the souls around us as we go there. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stay in this moment. If you are here today, and this message by the leading of the Holy Spirit has broken open to you that you haven't given your life to Christ, that you haven't become a born-again believer, I want to ask you that you will publicly declare today I want to give my life to Christ by raising your hand. If there's anyone here, please put up your hand right now so we can pray with you. Amen. Thank you so much. Anyone else want to give their lives to Jesus today? Will you come to the front, please? Thank you so much. Anyone else want to give their lives to Jesus today? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Let's give God a praise offering. There's rejoicing in heaven today. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anyone here today that realizes, I love God. I've given my life to Him. But I have neglected to serve Him wholeheartedly. To to strive for that crown, that imperishable crown with all that I am. If you realize other things have become more important than the gospel, if that's you today, just raise your hand as well. I'm going to pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Will you come to the front as well, please? Thank you, sir. Thank you, Lord. So this is the best decision you can make but it's also one of the biggest decisions of your life because it takes all of who you are and I want you to know that I'm going to lead you in a prayer where you're going to say today I make a decision to lay down my old life to receive Jesus' forgiveness for all my sins and brokenness and to step into a life with God to become a new creation if you are still in agreement to do that and this is not just an emotional decision but a sure spiritual decision I want you to pray after me and everyone can join in with him Lord Jesus today I choose to give my life to you Jesus thank you for dying on a cross for my sins forgive me Lord Lord wash me clean make me new I receive you I receive your finished work on the cross and I choose that from today I lay my old life down and I choose to live for you Jesus fill me Holy Spirit fill me God Father receive me In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Glory, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Welcome to the family of God. It's great to have you. (laughs) This is the first step for the rest of your life, striving for that beautiful crown that God has for us. And I want to end off with a prayer. The only one hand went up, but I think all of us, if we are honest... can be more wholeheartedly running this race Amen? amen so let us pray that God will help all of us to run the race with whole hearts all right Lord Jesus I come together with my church family and I stand with each one here and Lord we ask that you will help us to live for you wholeheartedly with all of our hearts all of our minds all of our souls and all of our strength not just on sundays but every day all day striving for that crown that imperishable crown while shining the light that you've lit in us i praise you for the light that's been lit in these precious souls today and i thank you lord that right now everyone who's standing here that gave their life to you a long time ago that you will bring a new flame, a new ignite, igniting into their souls, in their spirit beings, that they will once again feel, all of us feel that zeal of when we came born again first. Restore to us the joy of our salvation, as as David uh, prays in Psalm 51. Restore to us the joy of our salvation. And we pray for the boldness of the Lion of Judah to fill us. We pray for the conviction and the certainty of who we are in Christ. When we shine our light and go for that crown that you've given us. Lord, we take up this commission to be the light in the darkness. We take it and we want to run with it. Lord, bless our church. Bless our ministry. Bless everything we do for your kingdom. Give us favor. Bless us with a venue, Lord God. Bless us with events where we can reach more people for you. And bless us with opportunities to seek and save the lost for your kingdom. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everyone says, Amen and Amen. We love you. You're amazing. Have a great Sunday. Remember to grab a coffee. Have some fellowship. We'll see you next week. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God. that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person may God bless you and keep you make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones God bless you bye bye